welcome back to Butter With That, a movie podcast recording remotely <laughs> in Philadelphia. Um, we are still in the midst of the coronavirus quarantine. Uh, and so we are still bringing you your regular Butter With That content, but this time digitally on the internet by recording via Zoom. Uh, how's everybody doing today? Getting some head nods. Yeah. Connor, do you remember? And not just Connor, but everybody, when we were joking about coronavirus, we are like, yeah, it's fine. I want to slap my past self. <laughs> oh, we'll have two weeks off. It'll be great. Not 21 days later. We were so stupid and young back then. And <laughs> <laughs> 21 days later, I mean, like, knowing that we're, gonna, we're not going to go back to work until the end of May. I don't know if I've matured or completely regressed in this time period <laughs> as well. <laughs> Maybe a little bit of both, depending on the insight. I have definitely, I feel like, lost a good amount of weight from just not snacking at work constantly. Oh, well, isn't that nice for you? <laughs> 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 um, so you might have caught us last week. We were sort of doing a Zoom test, talking about some quarantine movie recommendations. Thanks to folks who messaged us or commented on our Instagram post given us some recommendations. Uh, and since the Zoom test seemed to work out pretty well, we're going to roll into our next month's theme, which is, uh, if you're watching the YouTube video, quote unquote, miss the boat theme. Uh, but before we roll into the first movie we're going to be discussing for this new theme, I just wanted to read out a little email from friend of the show, Sarah. Y'all know. Yeah. It's been a while since we've gotten an email. Um, this is the, we got it last night. It's the first time I haven't cried myself to sleep in ages because it's been so long since we got an email uh, so i'm just going to read it out uh, hey butter crew hope you're doing well and staying safe i'm really happy that you found a way to keep recording episodes it brings a sense of normalcy to my week in this weird time mm-hmm. i highly agree with christine's choice of comfort movie pride and prejudice from 2005 is my favorite movie of all time i absolutely adore it but i'm still but i'm starting to watch the 1995 version so maybe i will soon have a more balanced view of pride and prejudice adaptations Uh, As for other comfort movies and shows to watch, I recommend Our Souls at Night, America's National Parks, and Twin Peaks. Uh, I haven't seen any of those. Have you guys watched Twin Peaks at all? I know, you know, a few Mm -hmm. people that love Twin Peaks. I thought she was going to say twins. (laughs) (laughs) Also twins. A nice twin combination. (laughs) Twins and Twin Peaks. Uh, The 30th year anniversary of Twin Peaks? Or is about to be? So. Yeah, I think so. Sarah wraps up her email by saying, a question for you all. What movie or show would you recommend avoiding for the quarantine? Uh, Looking forward to the next episode, Sarah. Uh, I thought that was a pretty interesting question. So if anybody had um, any ideas, feel free to, you know, things that you didn't really want to recommend, things to stay away from. Um, Hmm. It's hard to say because there's so much time to kill. It's like, why not watch anything? But (laughs) Mm. I want to say a movie around family and friends. Like, you know how we had family and food and family uh, last year? I I would not be watching while you're sleeping because I miss my family a lot. So nothing quite like that. I feel like one that popped to my mind was Contagion, but Christine, you were bringing up before we were recording. Is that actually a good movie to watch for an appropriate uh, take on kind of what was going on? Or maybe like 28 Days Later, any other kind of like viral outbreak sort of film? 
Yeah, I watched Contagion two weeks ago because from pressure or like because of pressure from friends. But then I found it uh, quite interesting and uh, quite disturbing, but I think in a more fascinating way. So I I would say if you haven't seen it, it's an interesting, um, interesting watch. I think I saw that another different Sarah uh, had a movie party for that in our freshman year of college uh, in our dorm room. So I've only seen that once and it was a long time ago, maybe a revisit. I know on Letterboxd, um, you guys might've seen this, that it's been trending for weeks and weeks now. Movies <laughs> that people have been watching. Anybody else? You got a Rex, some not Rex to, you know, see during the quarantine. I think I was kind of thinking of just like stuff that's like inherently stressful. <clears throat> like, I was actually thinking about Uncut Gems, which we'll probably talk a little bit about later. But, like, in general, like, Softy Brothers stuff is very, like, high energy and high stress. And I feel like, for me, that would probably be too much right now. But I also like watching horror movies and stuff. And I know, like, some people would be like, oh, I don't know, that'll stress me out. But it's like, you know, I guess we all have, like, our things that kind of help with that. But, uh, yeah, I can't imagine watching, like, Uncut Gems right now. That might actually kill me. <laughs> um, my friend watched that the other day and said he really loved it, but that it was so incredibly mm-hmm. stressful. So I'm kind of on the fence. I want to see that. Yeah. It might put things in perspective. You know, if you watch an extremely stressful movie where the main characters go through terrible ordeals, you're like, well, at least. Right now, that's not me. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, thank you so much for that email, Sarah. Um, Definitely, folks who are listening or watching this YouTube video, uh, feel free to send emails to butterwiththatpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to read them out on the show. Um, Awesome. So let's dive into our first movie. Uh, So I feel like this, we have a whole kind of, you know, back and forth about like what different themes you want to do as we go, you know, as we've been doing this podcast and miss the boat. I feel like for me personally has been one that's kind of been creeping up over the past couple of months. And I'm really glad that we get to pick this theme. It's a little unclear maybe at first, uh, but I sort of think of a miss the boat movie as basically a film, maybe a director, an actor, a genre uh, or a franchise that you never really got into maybe as a kid or when that movie or whatever was popular. Um, So picks from all of us for this theme are going to be movies that are franchises or directors or actors that we were sort of like, meh, Missed that. Didn't really watch that when it was popular. Uh, and for me, my pick for this week is Spirited Away, um, the 2001 in Japan, 2002 in the U.S. Um, anime classic by Studio Ghibli and directed and written and drawn by um, Hayao Miyazaki um, out of Japan. Uh, and so I made this pick because anime is not really something that I've been into for a lot of my life. There's some big exceptions. Uh, Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z... I've had two big Yu-Gi-Oh phases in my life. Um, and then we just watched, a few of us watched Neon Genesis Evangelion. Um, and maybe Tori will start watching that eventually soon. Um, and so outside of that, um, my experience with anime is pretty shallow. Uh, Dave, I saw you had your hand up. Oh, no, sorry. I was just going to report on that. I just watched uh, up to the most recent rebuild movies for Evangelion. Um, and if you've heard me impassioned, uh, my impassioned endorsement before uh, of the series, stick to the canon series, I'd say. Uh, I'll get into that at another time. But yeah, those are uh, eh, not so great. Hmm. That's a shame. 
Uh, and so while I have seen a good amount of like pretty popular anime television outside of like the Dragon Ball movies and like a Yu-Gi-Oh movie and the Pokemon movies, in terms of feature length Japanese animation, it's a pretty big gap in my cinematic knowledge. And so as we were sort of coming up with movies that we haven't really seen before or don't really know too much about, Spirited Away came to my mind instantly. Uh, and I also have a pretty um, funny kind of anecdote about watching this movie, uh, but we can get to that in a few minutes. Um, Kind of before we dive on in, has it, um, so everyone has seen it now, but um, what's sort of everyone's relationship like with Spirited Away? Um, you know, or just Studio Ghibli films in general. Um, Christine, do you want to go first? Uh, sure. Uh, Spirited Away is uh, a beloved movie uh, by me. <laughs> I love this movie. Uh, I had a really good friend growing up who was really into Miyazaki movies and uh, introduced Spirited Away, Howl's Moving Castle, Kiki's Delivery Service into my life. And uh, I have, I think Spirited Away is the movie I've seen the most times. Um, but I think from world building to visuals to the score to the characters it's just like a universe that is just so just sumptuous I feel like is the best way to describe it so it was so it's so wonderful to watch it again and uh yeah just share thoughts about a, a, a movie that I really love Awesome. Um, who has seen? Who else has seen this movie before? Watching it for the podcast, I have. And what was the sort of like kind of revisiting it? Were you sort of kind of tapping into the same feelings of when you first saw it? <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, it's a movie that, uh, like all the uh, Studio Ghibli movies that I've seen, are knockouts. Um, Miyazaki and his team are. I don't know. I, I would say that their output rivals anything that Disney has done, even at their best. Um, so as far as animation goes, as far as storytelling goes, they're, they're generally like really spellbinding. Um, I had seen this one a few times before, but I usually try to kind of space it out. Um, it's one that I don't return to very often because although, although I could imagine it's hard for the sheen of this kind of movie to wear off over time, I do kind of like to give it some distance so that every time I'm just like, wowed. And this was no exception to watch it again. Awesome. Uh, and Sam and Tori, was this your first time watching it? I think I've seen, like, part of it when I was a kid. Or, like, I know, like, iconic images or scenes or something. But, like, when I was watching it now, there's a lot of imagery in it that definitely would have scared me when I was a kid because I was kind of a scaredy cat with, like, stuff like that. And it, like, does have a lot of, like, stressful stuff at the very beginning, too. So, like this probably wouldn't have been that appealing for me at that time if I did try to watch it because I would have just been scared. Um, but I am excited you picked this because specifically Studio Ghibli stuff is kind of like a miss the boat for me. Like I didn't see many of those growing up. So like it's kind of, it was kind of cool because I like felt like I also got to like do two of the miss the boats this month because I was like, oh shit, yeah, this is like also an area that I'm not too familiar with. Um, but I loved it. So I'm like very excited to talk about it. Nice. And Sam, your thoughts as a first time viewer. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, uh, have seen Kiki's delivery service before. So I'm a little bit familiar with the genre and I loved that movie. 
Um, I really wish I would have seen this as a kid because I definitely would have been 100% about it, especially in 2002. I was like a weird 11 year old. So like, yeah, right, right where I needed to be. I think I would have loved it. Um, Oh, go ahead, Christine. I think, uh, Tori, you bring up a really good point. Uh, and Sam, as far as like, what is the right age to like first have seen this movie? And I feel like because, yeah, I, I didn't watch any of these movies until high school. And I think, like, Tori, I would have been terrified as a child, gr- like, seeing a lot of that imagery. Um, and was like, I, I would love to talk to, like, an eight-year-old who's, who's watching this and get their, like, in-the-moment thoughts about the movie. Um, it's funny that you guys are bringing up that because I actually saw this movie for the first time uh, when I was going that summer going into third grade uh, when this oh. movie came out. Um, but before I dive into that story, I just want to give a brief plot synopsis uh, for folks who haven't seen it. Uh, in this animated feature by noted Japanese director Hayao Miyazaki, 10-year-old Chihiro and her parents stumble upon a seemingly abandoned amusement park. After her mother and father are turned into giant pigs, Chihiro meets the mysterious Haku, who explains that the park is a resort for supernatural beings who need a break from their time spent in the earthly realm, and that she must work there to free herself and her parents. Um, the scene where the parents turn into the pigs, that was one little nine, I believe I was eight or nine at the time, that I just could not handle. Um, so I was going to the third grade um, in 2002, and it was my friend's birthday. Uh, he was super into anime. I, I believe he still is. Uh, and so after his birthday party that morning, that afternoon, we went to the AMC in Deptford, New Jersey. Um, all of us, there were probably about 15, 20 of us to go see this movie. Uh, and I was just not ready. Uh, growing up, I had a huge fear of being lost, of being on my own, like a lot of people, losing my parents. And so that scene in the beginning when her dad's like, it's fine, we're going to go into this well, let's go look into this place. Uh, and then her parents turn to pigs. She loses her parents and has to fend for herself. I had a really difficult time back in the day of kind of getting over that hump. Um, and so I only really remember the first maybe third of this movie. So sort of the rest of it as I was watching it um, last night, again, was sort of like a whole new movie, even though I saw this movie um, such a long time ago. And I think sometimes we've talked about um, movies that have scared us as kids or movies you know, that maybe we weren't ready for. And so this definitely was sort of one for me. But looking back now, it's like, oh, this really isn't too bad. I just kind of got myself all um, worked up. Uh, Dave, did you have a hand up? Uh, yeah, just one one thing that it did bring to mind was like, I remember watching Pinocchio as a kid yeah. and um, Disney's Pinocchio and it getting to the kind of iconic scene um, <clears throat> on the island where uh, uh, this, this sort of like more like a, uh, riotous children are like turning into donkeys and it's like this really horrific moment so it's kind of takes that that sort of framework and ratchets it up to 11 because it's like a young girl and it's her parents so it's really a pretty uh yeah as you mentioned a pretty intense scene within the first like i don't know quarter of the movie and the movie doesn't really let up in terms of the problems and issues that it throws at Chihiro, who's then later known as sen um, which we'll definitely get into as we go through the movie Uh, But I just wanted to talk very quickly just sort of about the production of the movie, box office, kind of stuff like that. Um, So this movie was a passion project for Miyazaki. Uh, He already released tons of movies before this with Studio Ghibli. Uh, And he wanted to make a movie for um, 10-year-old girls, basically. 
Uh, apparently in you know kind of interviews I was reading, he him and his family would go off into like the mountains every summer and his friends would bring their children. And so he would watch these, you know, family events with all these 10 year olds and young kids running around. And I was like, wow, they don't really have any sort of, I would love to create a movie for this group that is where, you know, a strong young heroine who is not just about, you know, wanting to fall in love or all these kind of schmaltzy themes, but one who was really confronted with pretty adult problems. Uh, and this movie began production in 2000 and was released in Japan in July of 2001 with a budget of $19 million. Um, one you know, thing I wanted to look up, because I know Tangled was supposed to cost a lot of money, and this is not adjusted for inflation, but Tangled cost approximately uh, $260 million to produce. When Spirited Away, like I said, unadjusted for inflation, but Spirited Away costs about $19 million U.S. dollars. Hmm. And I would say, I, I like Tangled for what it is, but I think Spirited Away is far superior movie. Uh, and s- still to this day, it is the box office champ in Japan. Uh, it dethroned Titanic when it came out uh, as the highest grossing movie in Japan, and it still holds that record to this day. And it was also the first movie ever to make $200 million before opening in the United States. Whoa. So I really had no idea how much of an international sensation um, this movie was back in the day. Uh, currently on Rotten Tomatoes, it uh, has a 97% for critics, 96% for fans. I feel like a lot of the time we talk about movies where that, that ratio skews one way or the other, and it's opposite where fans love it and critics hate it, or vice versa. Uh, and Rotten Tomatoes described the critical consensus as Spirited Away is a dazzling, enchanting, and gorgeously drawn fairy tale that will leave viewers a little more curious and fascinated by the world around them. And I definitely think that resonates with me. Uh, to kind of cap off all of its success, it won Best Animated Feature at the 2003 Oscars uh, and was the first and so far only Japanese anime film to do so. So kind of sort of in a league of its own. Um, and this movie is just wild. Just I knew that Studio Ghibli had really gorgeous films, but I never really understood just how beautiful um, and just how thematically rich a lot of these movies are. Uh, this movie was how many themes uh, Miyazaki in, uh, crammed into it, uh, such as like transitioning from childhood to adulthood, the power of greed and corruption, um, you know, remembering and kind of respecting and uh, celebrating the past while also embracing modernity. Uh, definitely themes of capitalism are inside of here. And Miyazaki, I think, does such a great job of borrowing a lot from Japanese folklore um, and other folklore as well, while also sort of creating all of this. Um, so this movie is populated with original, uh, a lot of original creatures and spirits. Uh, as mentioned, the synopsis is a bathhouse that all these spirits go to. Uh, and Chihiro has a pretty dramatic time um, sort of accepting this new status quo for herself. And I think this is a pretty powerful, inciting incident, if we're thinking about the structure of this movie, of how her parents are at this theme park, um, and then there's all this mysterious food, and they just start chowing down on it without even really thinking about what it's from. The dad drives this really expensive Audi with all-wheel drive. Um, and so they keep saying, oh, you know, daughter, you know, grab, eat all this food. You know, they're like, no, like, this isn't ours. We shouldn't do it. Uh, and I think that idea of like her sense of judgment and her sense of right and wrong really propels her uh, through the entire movie. Uh, and this film has some really great characters as well. Um, does anybody have any thoughts on sort of Chihiro slash Sen and sort of her arc throughout the movie and sort of what she undergoes? Um, my only complaint about the movie is how much she was yelling. 
it, I, I was so annoyed. <laughs> um, but you know, that's such a minor part of the movie, but I think that her character, um, I guess we could like spoil it, but the fact that her character was so full of love that she could break curses and um, she really just had so much care and passion for literally everyone she met, even people who were treating her like absolute garbage. And I just, I really loved that a lot. Nice. Any other thoughts on uh, Chihiro? I was thinking about that too, Sam. Like she definitely goes through like, a change and kind of has to overcome some fear in order to like, you know, rescue her parents and her friend and all of this stuff, like throughout the course of the movie. But like, it didn't feel like that dramatic of like a character adjustment. Cause like, she really is pretty consistent with like her sense of right and wrong. And I, I just kind of liked that consistency throughout the movie. And I felt like even when she was scared, she was still being very strong and like kind of trying her best in this very fucking strange world that she is in. Um, which, yeah, I, I just like watching her, like I kind of at the beginning, I was like, God, she yells a lot. Like she's very whiny. Oh. Then, like, as it, as it progressed, I was like, no, this is like a very strong character that I appreciate a lot. And, like, I wish that her parents went through, like, something because they're kind of assholes the whole time and don't really get a character arc either. Even um, at the end. Even at the end, yeah. Like, they're still just like, oh, like, why are you taking so long? I'm like, fuck you people. Like, what is wrong with you guys? I mean, I would have eaten that food, but besides that, <laughs> they're jerks. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I loved her. I thought she was wonderful. I'm really glad you brought the parents because that seemed to be, it was hard to find um, negative reviews for this movie. Uh, one that I found was a one-star review saying, it's not Chicken Little. Which <laughs> <laughs> is not. That's no. fair. It's not. That's no. fair. Um, and so aside from those kind of joke negative reviews, um, ones I found did say, you know, questions sort of, well, does Chihiro really undergo these change, you know, any sort of changes? And what about the parents? Is there any responsibility for them? And I think, sort of after the movie was over, kind of doing a little bit of research. I think it's really cool that this 10-year-old, in a lot of ways, kind of has it figured out. And so all of these challenges um, just get thrown her way, and she still kind of has that resolve. Um, say, I know kind of who I am. I know what I need to do. And it's really about her overcoming change in her life, not necessarily overcoming, like, a huge character default. And I think it's sort of interesting to throw a character like that into the sort of, like, hero's journey or the monomyth. Um, which this film definitely takes a lot of inspiration from. And I think it also has a really interesting um, antagonist. And I'm really just in general bad with names. And I should have wrote down, does anybody remember the witch's name? Uh, Yubaba? Yubaba. Mm-hmm. Yubaba. Um, I think she was a really interesting antagonist. Uh, she is the this giant witch with like a huge nose, giant wart in the middle of her forehead, uh, who is in charge of this um, bathhouse and she actually it's revealed later in the film has a twin sister um Zaniba I believe is the name yeah uh, and so the film's also I think tackling this really interesting <laughs> idea of uh like nature versus nurture um of sort of what happens when people are thrown into these uh very specific circumstances and how they're changed as their lives go on yeah Tori um I'm happy you brought them up too because I thought it was interesting like when you're introduced to the first witch, who's the owner, like she is kind of scary and she's like presented as a bird the first time you see her. And she's like yelling at this girl and just like is very, very nasty. And then later on you meet her sister who looks exactly the same as her, 
but is like very loving and kind and creates this like really nice environment. And I thought that was kind of cool just because like my perspective of like the way that woman looks like changed with like the different personalities. Like initially I found her to be very scary and like, just like kind of ugly and mean. And later on, like, you know, a different woman with the same features is like very warm and grandma like, and it was like kind of interesting just seeing that play out throughout the movie. Yeah, Christine. I think um, going off what was Tori was saying, uh, I think you see that sense of change in perception of, of character, like in other characters as well. Um, you see that uh, with the stinks or what they think is the stink spirit, uh, but Chihiro's intuition uh, moves her to like help this character and spirit out by <laughs> removing this plug that ends up or thorn that ends up being an entire junkyard that this spirit has accumulated and then you sort of realize that this character just was in need of help a good bath and and um and so you see that kind of transformation and then she's then rewarded for that that intuition and that caring spirit um and you see that with no face as well um that uh, she also uh, builds that relationship with a character that is, at, from at first glance, quite creepy and sort of insidious character that finds its way into the bathhouse. But then you um, really kind of under, not, I'll never understand No Face, but um, <laughs> you get a little bit more perspective on, on that character. Dave, I saw you had your hand up. Yeah, as um, yeah, as relates to uh, Christina, what you're saying there about uh, Chihiro. I mean, one of the things I find most interesting about this movie is that it's it portrays a ten year old girl who, in the end, seems as you know, versus the parents as we discussed, also seems to have things a little more figured out somehow than than her parents even do. And I think that a lot of that, that's reflected through the way that she navigates this world, this really kind of confusing new space uh, through kindness. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of being her guiding, guiding influence and intuition and, um, how that ultimately leads to, for her, for successful results. Um, and I just also really love, uh, a clumsy protagonist. I think that's always great because she's always stumbling and falling down. And I think that's always an adorable trait to have in your main character. The stair scene when, uh-huh. <laughs> when she oh slips God. on the stairs and then oh, the God. shot is of her with her arms back just flying down these stairs and then she lands right into the cement wall. <laughs> yep. I think this film, I'm so glad you brought up that scene, Christine, because I think it does a really good job of balancing uh, tension and comedy uh, inside of it. Uh, that scene that you're referring to, she is basically, if they discover she's a human, they're going to turn her into a pig or kill her or do, she's not going to be around much longer. And so um, Haku sort of befriends her, very cryptic character we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, and then gives her advice, says, go to the boiler guy, he's going to help you ask for a job, don't stop asking for a job. Uh, and so she's running down these stairs, and I had a flashback to a dream that I had years ago, where I was in a Ferris wheel, but there was no like seatbelt harness uh. thing. So I was just going on this fast Ferris, Ferris wheel, spinning around and around, <laughs> feeling like I was going to like fall off and die. And so it's just interesting. I don't know. I just had some a visceral. I totally forgot about that dream until watching that scene where she breaks a step and she's trying to go stealthily. And then she just flies down the stairs. And the perspective that the stairs have, um, like the background, the foreground, I don't know, all of that was just stuck out in my mind like it doesn't in a lot of animated movies. 
Yeah, one thing about that too, I think is it's really accentuated by the animation. There's a lot of like, there's a lot of disparate paces of movement among characters and among uh, among sequences that I think really highlights an energy in the film because there is a lot of stillness in the backgrounds that are beautifully rendered and everything, but there are these moments of like rushing energy that really kind of prepare or propel the narrative as well as like the visual medium itself. It's really not uncommon in uh, Miyazaki films and really well executed here. Lots of moments of silence that really kind of stood out to me. Um, lots of moments of where um, when she turns into Zen, uh, Sen, and she's just like sitting, staring out into the sea, into the ocean, when she's on the train trying to go to Yubaba's sister, uh, just lots of moments of contemplation. I thought that was kind of really powerful to put inside of a kid's movie to sort of risk having uh, moments of silence, which I know Miyazaki was like, that's really important. It just can't be wall-to-wall action. You have to have moments um, for contemplation. Um, I think the character that, I just have the most questions about is obviously No Face. Um, you first meet No Face when um, Chihiro is, you know, Haku is helping Chihiro get into the bathhouse and trying to protect her. And then you just see this, he, I mean, he sort of kind of looks like Ghostface from Scream. I kept wanting to call him Ghostface. Has a giant white, uh, like theatrical, Japanese theatrical mask where all you see are just like black slits for eyes and a, I think is a frowny mouth. Just like this black kind of ethereal cloak. You see it on the bridge, you see kind of a few times, and then through kindness, as once um, Chihiro gets a job at the bathhouse, lets No Face in. And I think that's a really great example of um, an environment changing somebody. Goes from this sort of meek figure to literally devouring people. Yeah, Christine. Um, Can we just acknowledge that the way that No Face communicates at first is... Oh, please. I hated it. I I can never get used to it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. It's kind of like, Connor, uh, you're a Dragon Ball Z fan. It's kind of like whenever, anytime they're like angry and they're just like staring at someone, it's always like, (laughs) a cat noise. Yeah. I think you something a little more forward. Sorry. No, we're going to. That was an aside. Continue, Connor. I just wanted to provide that. (laughs) Um, and I really, I think this movie sort of kept me on my toes with not knowing um, who, what characters' motivations really are, who's, there's really no obvious antagonist. Uh, and I feel like No Face is sort of set up to be this evil character and ha- definitely has sort of um, not great moments, but ultimately um, through Jihiro's kindness sort of finds redemption. Um, any other thoughts on kind of No Face? Probably like the mascot for the movie. Yeah, I I think definitely. I I knew nothing about the movie going in except for this character. Two reasons, um, both because of the internet. One, um, do you guys remember that? I don't even know if it's like a meme, but like the picture of the little girl at a birthday party. It was like, it's a costume party. And she dressed up as no face. (laughs) And everyone was like, scared everyone else. (laughs) Um, So that, but then also turning the part where um, No Face is getting hit with the waves over and over again. I've seen that gif online where people put like feels and getting hit and hit and hit. <laughs> and so like, I, I genuinely had no idea what this was going to be about. And like, how does this character fit in here? What is this character about? And I still don't know, which I think is just kind of incredible, really. Yeah, I think sort of taps well into Miyazaki giving us good amount of information, but we only really know as much as um, Chihiro knows. Um, we really don't know too much about the, you know, it's not Game of Thrones level of lore 
for, you know, how the spirit realm works and all of this. We're basically just meeting all these different characters um, and spirits as they're sort of coming along. One of my favorite was the radish spirit. Ugh. <clears throat> radish man. <It> was nasty. <laughs> <laughs> and just this movie is just brimming with creativity for all these creature designs and ideas. Uh, no face, totally um, original character. Uh, borrow, you know, visual, you know, borrowing visually from Japanese theater. Um, but in terms of like that kind of, I believe they're called like kami or yokai, like in terms of some kind of folkloric spirit, that's just a wholly new creation that Miyazaki came up with. Uh, and something that stood out to me when watching this movie uh, is the importance of thresholds, bridges, doorways, windows, um, the surface of water kind of going in and out of spaces, just having a, a, a significant amount of power. Um, I don't know if I have any really kind of more thoughts on that or if you guys do, but uh, just this idea of like space and this barrier and this threshold um, that just sort of, I, feel, I don't know, just resonated with me a lot as I was kind of watching the movie. And even the the bridge that leads from the amusement park town to the bathhouse also reminded me a little bit of Coco um, with the bridge of the dead going from the graveyard mm-hmm. to the, um, the Coco. I forget what that town was called, uh, the land of the dead. Um, and so I don't know, that just kind of just reminded me of that aspect. Um, were there any sort of um, kind of themes or symbolism going on that sort of really uh, stood out with you guys or was kind of interesting or something maybe that as a kid you really wouldn't have thought of too much? Now you got me thinking about thresholds. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, processing uh, that idea. I really, really like that idea. Uh, and I think you have people passing through changes in physical space. But I think that parallels how different characters uh, interact with each other. Um, completely different characters uh, and motivations kind of passing through one another. Um, not a complete thought. I'm going to keep thinking about that. That's a good... Well, that's sort of made me think of how different people interact in different rooms and around different people. Um, like Haku, who is... Um, Yababa's apprentice. Um, it turns out that you know he's basically being you know, sort of imprisoned by Yababa because he is actually a river deity, uh, a river spirit, and so his river uh, got dammed up. Got you know apartments got built on top of it, so he couldn't find his home. So he drifted to the bathhouse and got um, you know, forced into indentured servitude, uh, basically. And so even uh, Chihiro, because he's very sweet and kind to Chihiro when they first meet, as she's trying to evade uh, the authorities. But then when he's in the presence of Yababa, he's like a totally different character. And she's like, oh, is there, are there two Hakus? She asks uh, Lin, who's sort of her uh, friend and supervisor. Um, and so, yeah, even different rooms that people are in act differently. I didn't really think of that part of it. I also, oh, sorry. Go ahead. As, as the movie progresses, I feel like you notice that she does develop like a faith in him and even when other people like with their perceptions are like, Oh, he's like not good. Or he's like this woman's henchman and all this stuff. Like she is very faithful to the fact that like he is good. And like that ends up being what being what saves him um, towards the end of the movie. And then like at the end, when he does recover his identity and you find out that he had saved her when she was younger and she's just like, you are good. Like it's, seeing like a moment of like her faith actually paying off, um, which is pretty amazing. 
and even there's a line um it's basically like no one's ever really gone it's kind of the idea of like if somebody you know people don't really leave your mind i think it's uh, zaniba who tells her that and so she just i think that's what's so powerful driving this gut instinct to trust haku who's basically just like a bureaucrat who does the bidding of the evil factory owner type of uh, archetype that's how other people see him but yeah not how uh, sen see him christine were you gonna add something too um, I was thinking again about uh, No Face. You might have brought this up before, but um, he initially, or it uh, is at the at the bridge, and then you slowly see this m- sort of transparent pe- spirit enter the bathhouse when Shihiro leaves the door open. And then, Connor, you mentioned how characters transform depending on the environments that they're in. Uh, you see No Face start to eat all the food in sight and then start eating people uh, and transforming into this giant monster um, that definitely connects to the environment of the bathhouse in some ways being run on uh, sort of the fuel of greed. And uh, it's this character that still I can't pinpoint no face is like substance, but I guess that is kind of the idea that sort of this transparent spirit then starts to accumulate the essence of the environment that it's in, and then it becomes a monster, and then uh, Chiro <coughs> allows the character to then, or I guess shows it kindness, and then it transforms again. But that just got me thinking about characters that are changed depending on the spaces that they that they end up entering. Well, there's that line too towards the end where she's just like, even though like you know he's like running after her to try to eat her or whatever, she's like, <laughs> oh, like this is just a bad environment for him. He just needs to like get out of this space. Like she says that too, and you're like, man, like even the idea that you can see people are good in a different environment and like recognizing that environmental factors like play a part in how people behave is very cool for this. Totally. And so mature. Yeah. Yeah. Very. Especially for, you know, when this movie is designed for preteens. Yeah. Yeah, That's sort of the guiding principle. I think that's pretty powerful to put inside of a movie. Um, one thing I also loved about No Face was that he pushes the limits on how much vomit can be in a PG movie. <laughs> um, food is also, Sam, I'm glad you brought up Food and Family earlier, because I feel like this could also be a great contender for a Food and Family movie. Um, Shahira O oh, is searching for her family, and there's all this food, and her parent, you know, the food plays a really important theme. Uh, and that's also a cross-culture, too, about, like, eating food, you become a part of the culture, the land, you know, that sort of a mythic theme in a lot of places. Um, and so the, you know, kind of going back to the, the muck monster, definitely I think one of the coolest scenes in the movie, this ugly sort of, sting, I guess it looks like poop, probably basically a poop monster wants to come to the bathhouse to get cleaned. Um, they begrudgingly take the money. They can't turn customers away. Uh, maybe even some ideas like guest right too in this movie too. Um, and so as they clean it, you know, she gets close to him, pulls out the plug, and this whole polluted river um, comes out of this creature, and it turns out to be a river spirit. Um, and I even think just, like, visualizing um, and sort of, I guess, anamorphosizing pollution, I thought was a really cool moment in the movie. And so the river spirit, once he's all clean, gives um, Chihiro, I guess it's kind of like a dirt ball that is food, but it's like medicine. 
also. Uh, and so she gives out this gift from her kindness and that kind of helps other people uh, and resolve situations. So she gives a part of this like moldy medicine gushy ball um, to no face and no face just vomits up everything. The people that he swallowed, the food, just like a huge purge. And that was pretty gruesome. Just vomit gets everywhere. Um, and so I think for a lot, I think a lot of comedy comes from that of just, I wonder if that's a way that he thought maybe make kids laugh. I mean, I laughed at just tons and tons of vomit um, sort of going anywhere. Um, I don't know if there's more talk about the vomit, but do you guys have anything to add to the vomit? <laughs> no, I think you really covered it. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we covered sort of a lot of the themes. Um, I did... Um, I did really like uh, one of the notes that you provided for us here regarding um, um, regarding her needing to to remember her, her actual name as opposed to the given name Sen. If you want to talk more about that, I thought that was really uh, really interesting. Sure, uh, I think one of my sort of favorite you know literature tropes, you know, just kind of writing tropes, is the power that names have, the power that places have, and so. Um, Sen eventually she tries to go to the boiler man to get a job. Chihiro goes to the boiler man to try to get a job. Then she goes up to Yubaba, the head evil witch. Uh, and the witch is under, I guess, some kind of spell or, you know, um, I forget the exact word for it. It's basically like a contract where if somebody asks for work, she can't turn them away. And so how she keeps people under contract is they write their name, you know, sign it. And then she takes a few letters. It's a pretty cool scene where she like has her hand on top of the paper, lifts up a few letters, uh, a few characters. And then all that's left is the phrase Sen. Um, and that's her name. And she says, you can only go by this now. And so everybody, Haku, everybody who works there has this sort of fake name. Um, and then they're under her power unless they can remember their real name. Um, also reminded me a lot of a cult. Like that's what cults do to get pe- like to keep people indoctrinated in the real world is to give them new names. That way they kind of forget um, their previous identity. Uh, and Sen means 1000 in English. And so I think that's sort of Miyazaki being like, that's just what Yababa views her as, just a number. Not a person, but sort of just a number. And Haku, you know, sort of his main arc is trying to remember his name. Um, and so it turns out that Haku is a shortened name of the river that he was a spirit for. Uh, and so, you know, uh, Shihiro and Sen sort of help him remember that. Uh, I just think that's just such a cool kind of trope of like what, you know, our names have power. How different would our lives be if our names sort of changed suddenly or we wanted to change our name? I think that's just a pretty powerful idea and concept. And uh, just sort of speaking to also like a... Um... <laughs> a notion of being given over, uh, giving over your identity to the concept of like a workforce and everything, uh, sort of a notion of like, um, what we surrender for, uh, for monetary gain and, um, what, what we lose in individualism by embracing some more materialistic aspects of modernity, as opposed to embracing a richer cultural heritage, um, especially rooted in names. So I think that that really touches on that as well. And I think that, Shihiro, by choosing, by being, you know, accepting the name Sen, she's not doing it for monetary gain. She's doing it to save her family. Right. And I kind of wish we knew more about, uh, we learn a lot about, we spend a lot of time with Lynn, who's another sort of washer, um, pretends to not like her in front of other people. Nobody wants a stinky human um, to be hanging out with them, but she befriends her, you know, actually really likes her. And so I wish like we knew kind of what her deal was. Like, are all these other people spirits? Um, 
you know, what was Lynn's motivation for coming here? It seems like it was just um, to make money, to like have a place to live and to do work, but we don't really know a whole lot. So I'd be super interested in just learning like a few more backstories for the characters that we get to meet. Yeah, I'm glad you brought her up. She's a great character. And uh, she, in turn, shows Chihiro kindness and is like a mentor for her, uh, helps her navigate the like craziness of suddenly working for this bathhouse. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, any other sort of thoughts about what we were talking about with Spirited Away, the themes, sort of the characters? Can we spend a second talking about the creatures? Because, um, my God, I was losing my mind. I really love anything that's, like, tiny and weird. And so those, like, soot sprites, they hit me right here. Every time they were on screen, (laughs) I was, like, yelling about them because they were so cute. And they eat stars. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And when they're grabbing them, uh, tattoo that on my face, you know? Like, I love Um. Yeah, and I think that just, and those creatures, I think, add to just, like, the magicalness of the world, of how the Boiler Man, his name escapes me, um, he's, like, the spider guy, kind of looks like Dr. Eggman from Sonic, Robotnik, who, like, has these long arms that can stretch and reach the different herbs for the water. He enchanted soot to turn into little, like, spider things to carry the coal. Uh, and just, like, that little detail of creativity, I thought was, just, like, so cool. And uh, the moment when... Um, one of them struggles to lift a coal and then uh, Chihiro helps them. Then all the other ones are like, Oh no, I don't want to, I don't want to work either. Help me. I thought that was really cute. Yeah. Dave, you had your hand up. Yeah. It just kind of reminds a lot for me. Uh, also going back to Disney, strangely enough, um, it reminds me also a lot of like house in Wonderland, how many like just sentient small characters surround and populate this world. And um, how much, how much like unique character design there is to the life just on the periphery periphery of what's going on. Along yeah. the same lines as Disney, I also thought a lot of Fantasia, like yeah. world bi- building scenes, interesting characters, not like super driving plot in some moments, but just times for music and characters and setting to just, uh, sweep you away and like pull you into this cool universe. I was like, mm. and especially with the soot characters, that reminded me a lot of scenes in Fantasia. It's a world that's just so rich too, and it's it's rendered backgrounds and everything. It's just like everything. I gasped so many times watching this movie just that the beauty of of backdrops and scenes. It's just a world that you would really. I don't know. I would I wouldn't have a problem with this movie like lasting forever. Really, I think his original plan was like a three plus hour epic. Um, that the studio sort of, all right, we got to, got to rein in, keep it at two hours ish. <laughs> uh, it also reminds me of the bathhouse a little bit of like Hogwarts of where it changes constantly. Like it's sort of hard to get a sense of geography, not in a bad way, just like that. It's just kind of like a magical place. Sometimes the grassy fields are flooded with water cause there's a rainstorm. Um, so it's just sort of like, yeah, around every turn you're sort of like, there's a new passageway, a new field, a new doorway, you know, new elevator. I thought that was pretty cool. Speaking of water, uh, the rendering of the water and the the train tracks and the fish moving below the surface is just stunning. So beautiful. And I think towards the end of the movie, once there's a lot of interior action within this sort of labyrinth of a environment, Hogwarts bathhouse, crazy place, and then the the sweeping seascape when she realizes when she realizes she has to go to uh, take the train to Zaniba's house. Uh, and then it just opens up with the huge sky, huge 
uh, scape of water. It's so, so, so beautiful. And even the uh, when Haku is his dragon form, um, those the the forms and the movement he takes in the sky looks like he's swimming. And I feel like the, actually there's a lot of scenes where she's flying or there's a scene at the end where she's flying with Haku and she gets flashbacks to the water, um, which is connection to when he saved her when she was young. And so it's kind of cool that like air and water seem to... Um, uh, seem to it, it moves quickly be between the spaces of air and water really uh, really quickly very like elemental yeah mm -hmm. and then you have elements too of um, I was watching the English dub and so whenever there's like signs it seems like every sign outside the bathhouse said oil on it and you have like electricity electric lights signaling you know daytime is over so I think he's also working with these interesting ideas of yes these natural forces at play sometimes, you know, fighting against modernity and all these modern new technologies that we have. Um, uh, Haku, I, in the English dubbed version, was voiced by the same person who voiced Binks from Hocus Pocus. Oh, yeah. I recognize that voice. Yeah, I was like, is that, it sounds like Binks? Zachary Binks? <laughs> um, also, the English actress... American actress who voiced Chihiro, uh, Davi Chase, also voiced uh, Lilo and Lilo and Stitch, and she was Samara in the in the ring. No yeah. way, that's crazy. She's got to stop wow. yelling. That's that's it. <laughs> cool. Uh, I just have a few other kind of fun facts here. As we're, feels like we're sort of wrapping up. Um, the bouncing lamp that you find at Zaniba's house. Um, I love it. Yeah, that is apparently was a nod to the Pixar logo. Uh, with the lamp that kind of bounces around with the same sound effect. Um, and we actually have John Lasseter to thank, uh, who was the former head of Pixar, overall big old creep, uh, because mm. those, you know, watched a lot of Miyazaki films and saw this when it came out in Japan, like got it over to the Pixar studios, and then, um, you know, basically worked with Disney to get this movie published and um, produced in the United States. And so he was in charge of the uh, English dub that it sounds like all of us watched. I thought that was an interesting note. Uh, and it is also the longest animated film that has been nominated um, in Oscar animation history. 125 minutes. Yeah. Any other thoughts on Spirited Away? Or Miyazaki, Studio Ghibli? I definitely will watch more probably this week. Um, unfortunately, it is not on American Netflix, but it is on international Netflix. It is also some websites as well. Where <laughs> be found. Um, I downloaded a free VPN, Winscape. Um, not a sponsor. Um, and so I was able to watch that just on international Netflix. And I had no idea how much stuff UK Netflix had that we don't have here. That's kind of yeah. All right. Well, thanks for joining us for this chat about Spirited Away. Thanks for the awesome discussion. We're going to take a quick break uh, and then we will be back with our whiteboard question.
And welcome back. We had an awesome discussion about Spirited Away. Uh, now for the back half of this episode, we are actually going to start by um, talking about a character quiz that we took. Uh, there are quite a few Spirited Away character quizzes. BuzzFeed had the worst ones. Um, the best one that I found was on uh, quotev.com. Um, and I thought this was a, asked some pretty interesting um, questions. Um, so who wants to share first with what character they got from Spirited Away? I mean, I got Zaniba, which made me very excited. Nice. I was very happy with that one. You are a very kind person, but you don't take crap from anyone if they mess with you. You just love messing with people who have wronged you by playing pranks on them. You also tend to love giving advice and hearing about people's love lives. <laughs> hmm. Hmm, Does that right. hold up? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sam, how about you? I got no face. Okay. Yes. Um, I got it. I saw, I read it. I immediately disagreed and deleted it. (laughs) (laughs) It basically said, you're a really shy person can open up every once in a while. And I was like, that's wrong. Bye. (laughs) Damn. You always get the best ones. (laughs) Uh, Christine. Yeah. I got Zaniba too. Yeah. Playing pranks everywhere. Putting my, (laughs) People steal my seal and I put a curse on them. Putting jazz music in the podcast. Don't. <laughs> All of those. Uh, how about you? Well, <clears throat> surprise, surprise, I got uh, Yubaba. <laughs> oh. uh, <clears throat> the description, uh, which I don't know that I necessarily agree with, but um, people are pretty intimidated by you until they really get to know you. You have an obsession with money, uh, but are not good at letting it completely control you. Um, you're also someone who doesn't like taking orders from others. I say that all right, shoot it. <laughs> money, money, money. <laughs> um, then to round it out, I got Chihiro. Uh, oh, wow. Well, okay. <laughs> Fine, all right. I'm going to be no face over here. God. <laughs> Friends. Uh, it says you have a very kind heart and you try your best to help anyone you can. You are also very strong-willed. Change is not something you're very fond of, but you're great at making friends. Cute. That you know, feels pretty good. Uh, and then on to our whiteboard question. This question I propose for you guys is uh, you are dead and you now have to go to the great bathhouse in the sky. What spirit would you be from Spirited Away or just maybe spirits in general uh, and why? I would be uh, one of the ducks. I love the bathing ducks. They're so cute. Me too. Me too. <laughs> just like uh, like eight of them just sitting in the in the bathtub. Mm, so cute. And their eyes are so far apart. They seem like dazed and just like, well, <laughs> it's like, <"Wah."> great. <laughs> a little bit of like a Psyduck vibe from Pokemon. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, Tori and Dave, that was also your pick? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sam, what was your pick? Um, I felt like I would be a river spirit, uh, mm-hmm. but I do, and I already said this, the soot sprites, I, I, they, they have my heart. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't want to be one of them because I think their life is like terrible, but I would love <laughs> to maybe be around them. Be one for the day? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I'd have to go with the radish spirit. Yeah, uh, connected with this giant radish guy. Uh, turn up is he the turn up radish spirit? Radish man, I think yeah. the radish. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I feel like I really connected with him. He unknowingly helped Shahira, which is probably how I would function. Um, and he just gave no fucks. He was like, oh, I'm going to walk over here. Oh, other elevator. Great. I'm going to just walk behind and do my own thing. Seems like a pretty powerful spirit. So I don't know. I think I'd want to be that guy. <laughs> I like the concept of a radish spirit. Does that mean there's like a spirit for every type of food? Because I'm into it. <laughs> I think so. I know, like, in traditional, just from my very brief research, um, that in Japanese folklore, lots of things have spirits uh, inside of them. Trees, plants, animals. So, yeah, I think, theoretically, most things have spirits that can go chill in the bathhouse when they need a break from the earthly realm. Whatever that means. I feel like we know what it means. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, cool. Well, thank you so much, guys, for talking about Spirited Away and giving me the chance to finally watch this movie. Um, if I watch more Miyazaki films, I'll definitely let everybody know. Um, anything we want to shout out during this quarantine time to, for our listeners to check out? Uh, Cinema 76. Uh, every week we're doing streaming recommendations. We just did Romance and... I think classics is coming up soon, so we'll have some more recommendations for stuff to watch while we're all housed uh, in our respective spaces. Um, and then I think uh, the next of my Cronenberg series will be out um, when this comes out next week. So, yeah. Right on. Uh, well, be sure to follow us on all the social media platforms. If you're watching this on YouTube, let us know. We're publishing that, just seeing how that goes. Um, send us emails at butterwiththatpodcast at gmail.com, Twitter, butterwiththat1, Instagram, Facebook, um, all that good stuff. Well, thanks for stopping by. Please stay safe, uh, stay quarantined. Um, really thinking of all of our listeners out there. Thank you so much for giving us your time during these um, difficult days. Uh, have a great day, everyone. Woo. Bye. Bye. See ya. <laughs> <laughs>